He is alive, and we are celebrating that today. You know, if you were with us last Sunday, or maybe you were in a church somewhere to celebrate Easter, uh, the secret that we have uh, among all the Jesus followers is that we do that every Sunday. We get together and celebrate the fact that he is alive. And in fact, for for many of us, that's a day-to-day celebration because the only reason we know that we have life is because he is alive. And so we're so glad you've come today to celebrate with us here at Southside. If you're a guest, welcome. We're so glad you're a part of our worship celebration today. My name is Gary Weber. I'm the senior pastor here at Southside. And last week on Easter, I asked how many history buffs we had. And there weren't a whole lot of us. There were a few of us. This week, I'm going to ask a related but a slightly different question. And that is, how many of you out there are really nostalgic? Like you, like you just, like you hear a song on the radio and man, you are right back at your high school prom or, you know, some of you, they don't even play those songs on the radio anymore. Um, you know who you are. So you, you find the right station on Pandora and, uh, and, and you find it that way. It, you're nostalgic. Like you see something in your heart, your mind, you're drawn back to a particular year and, and you just love it. You love those antique road shows where you know, they, they, they pull out the, you know, all the old things from the 1970s and the different Tupperware they used to have. And you're, you're like, my, we had those salt and pepper shakers in my house. You know who you are. Okay, there's a difference between people who love history and people who are nostalgic, okay? And and here's part of the difference. With nostalgia, while nostalgia is in history, nostalgia kind of has this part in us that thinks, man, wouldn't it be great if we could go back to that? Now, we know if we think about it that the good old days weren't as good as we think they were. But, but there are just those moments where things seem simpler and th- things seemed easier. And quite honestly, the older we get, the more likely we are to think that way. If you're a younger person in the crowd, you know what I'm talking about. You spent some time with your mom and dad or grandparents and you know, they're always talking about you know, those, those good old days. Well, let me give you a really practical reason why that happens. And it has to do with just the way the human life is, is sort of put together. So we start out life with no history. I mean, when you're born, you don't even remember what happened five or six days ago, right? And you're, you're living day-to-day, moment-to-moment. All of your life is in front of you. And so uh, when you're a kid growing up, you can't wait for Christmas. It seems like forever until Christmas is going to come. And you can't wait for summer. And summer's coming and, and you're ready to get out of school. And everything is always about what is in front of you. But if this stage, if the length of this stage is like my lifetime, then the, the, the longer I live, the shorter my future is and the longer my past is becoming, okay? So I'm about, in my life, I'm about right here right now, which means I'm at that point where there's a lot behind me and hopefully there's a lot in front of me if the Lord wills, so I'm kind of half and half. But the longer you live, there is more to remember than there is to look forward to. You, this means, are you with me? Yes, you're, you're tracking with me? Okay, so, so what happens is we tend to shift our focus from the limited time that we feel like is in front of us and we start to look back at all that's behind us. And we can find ourselves trying to live in the past. And we try to find ourselves trying to recreate things and put ourselves back in the past. Now, there are two primary reasons why people get stuck in the past. One reason is something good that happens. So you had a good experience, you, 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 you enjoyed something. So your high school football team won the state championship. You know any of these guys? Like they're still living their high school football days. So, so yeah, so there was this great thing that happened. You know, I was at, I was on the campus when, you know, co- this coach came and we won the national title. And you're reliving those glory days because something good happened. And you kind of go back. Maybe it was an accomplishment you worked 
worked with a company, and the company was really innovative. They introduced something new. Uh, They took the market by storm, and you sort of relive those glory days in the past, what that was like. Maybe for you, it was just a sweet time in your memory. You know, your kids were all in school. They were all, there was that one day where everybody did everything they were supposed to do, and nobody talked back. And like, that's the day. Like, you just, it's it's in your head forever. Uh, Good things that happen. But there's another thing that kind of draws us back to the past, and it's a little counterintuitive, and it's the bad things that happen in life. So, so there's a tragedy that happens, and you find yourself kind of in a cycle where you go back to that event, you, you replay it, and you think, well, what could I have done differently? If, if I had said something different, if I had done something different, if we hadn't left when we left, if I had stayed or if she had gone, and you replay it in your mind over and over again, and you find yourself trapped in history by a tragic event. So whether it's a good event or a bad event, we still find ourselves sometimes stuck back in the past. Now, the reason I think this is so important, and the reason I want to talk about this today, is we started a new series last Sunday that we're calling Alive. And it is the story of Jesus' resurrection and all his resurrection appearances to the disciples as we have in John chapter 20. And 21. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open to John 20. It's where we'll be in just, just a few moments. But why this is so important, and if you're here and you're not a Christian or you're not a believer, or you don't really know what Christians believe, let me tell you why this is so important. Because the entire Christian faith hinges on one event in history. And that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All of Christianity hinges on one historic event. But here's what is so significant about that. Christians don't just believe that Jesus rose past tense from the dead and that the tomb was past tense empty. Christians believe that Jesus is alive, that that is a present reality. And so while it's rooted in history, it's not confined to history. The fact that we believe that Jesus is alive, that Jesus rose from the dead and that he still lives has a profound impact on the way we live our life in the present, and it has a profound impact on the way we can live our life in the future. While it is rooted in history, it has an effect on us today and tomorrow and throughout all eternity. So we want to look at the resurrection, the reality of the resurrection, and what does it mean for us as Christians? 2,000 years past the time where Jesus was crucified and three days later, God raised him from the dead. What does it mean for us to believe that Jesus is alive? What does it mean about our past? What does it mean about the way we live today? And what can it mean for us about the future? So if you have a Bible, I hope by now you found John chapter 20. I want to bring us up to speed just so that we're all on the same page. So John chapter 20 started with the fact that Jesus had been laid in a borrowed tomb. And and he had been taken down off the cross. They had kind of rushed to get him down because the beginning of the Sabbath was at hand. And they they could not touch the body or or handle the body on the Sabbath. So they they rushed Jesus into a borrowed tomb. They put a stone in front of the empty tomb. And the Roman guards were stationed there because there was a rumor that somebody was going to probably try to steal Jesus' body. Well, on the first day of the week, which in the Hebrew calendar is Sunday, so the, first, the Sabbath was Saturday, the first day of the week, early in the morning, uh, John tells us in chapter 20, Mary gets up and she goes to the tomb. She is going with the thought that she is going to finish preparing Jesus' body for burial. She arrives to the tomb, 
The soldiers are gone, the stone is rolled away, and she immediately realizes somebody has stolen his body. They, she said, they have taken the body. So she runs back, she finds John and uh, Peter, and she says, hey, guys, they have stolen Jesus' body. And I don't know where they put him. So John and Peter run back to the tomb. And they look at all the same thing that, that Mary saw, and, and they're kind of stumped by it. They're, they're looking around the whole thing. And, and we saw last week how John saw this, and he believed, even though he didn't understand. That something about that empty tomb told John, you know what, th- th- this is not the work of grave robbers. That Jesus is alive. Even though he didn't have any, any proof, he didn't know anything, he didn't know why that would be the case, but he believed. So Peter and, and John, they go back to wherever it was they came from. And they left Mary standing there by herself. And listen to what happened. This is where we pick up in verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been. One at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, now this is a really important question, we're going to come back to it a little bit later, so just remember this question. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away. Notice what she said, they. They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around, and what are those next two words? At this she turned around and saw Jesus. But listen to the rest of this sentence. She saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Now for some people, you read this and you're like, see, that's why I have a hard time believing the Bible. How is that possible? That she would see Jesus, but she wouldn't know that it's Jesus. And there's been a lot of speculation about this. You know, did, did Jesus look different after the resurrection? I don't think Jesus looked different after the resurrection. I think he looked like Jesus. And you think, well, then how can this be the case? How could Mary, who is there looking for Jesus' body, turn around and see him but not know that it's Jesus? Well, I had an experience a couple weeks ago that, that was exactly like this. So I'm sitting in a restaurant, a local restaurant, with my daughter, and we're having lunch. And um, somebody walked in, and they had on a Star Wars shirt, okay? And I like Star Wars. This was one of those Star Wars shirts that kind of like it was a cartoon. There was a lot to read on the shirt. So as the guy's coming toward me, you know, I'm kind of looking at the shirt. I've never seen it before. It's kind of funny, and I'm reading all the stuff about Star Wars, looking at it. Well, finally, I realized the guy is trying to get my attention. I knew the guy. And he's, he's like, Gary, He's like, why were you just staring at me? Like, did you not recognize me? And I did not recognize him because I wasn't looking at him. I was looking at him, but I wasn't looking at him. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody else have an experience like this before? Yeah. So, so there, it is completely possible if you've got a different agenda, if you're looking for something else, you can look right at a person and not know it's the person at all. That's exactly what happened to me. I think that's exactly what happened to Mary. I think it's just that simple. So he asked her, woman, here it is again, why are you crying? And then he asked her another question. Who is it you're looking for? Now remember, this is Jesus asking Mary. I think Jesus smiled and laughed a lot more than we think he did. I mean, I just have a feeling that when, when Jesus realized she doesn't know who I am, that he's probably thinking, so, who are you looking for? You know, like, hello, here I am. Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will go and get him. At this point, I think Jesus is probably laughing. Jesus said to her, Mary. 
she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, now listen to this, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Now, now, just track with me for just a second, back in verse 17. Because Jesus said something to Mary that is kind of odd. Do not hold on to me. Some of you may have translations that say, do not touch me. Don't put your hand on me. Don't touch me. The actual, the actual Greek there really is better, better uh, translated as do not hold on to me or do not cling to me. Now, why would Jesus have told Mary not to touch him or not to hold on to him, especially when we're going to see in just a, a, the week after next that when Jesus showed himself to Thomas, he said to Thomas, Thomas, here, touch the wounds in my hand. Put your hand in my side. I mean, on on one verse, he's inviting Thomas to touch him in just a few verses. But here he's telling Mary, Mary, don't hold on to me. Don't hold on to me. I think what Jesus is saying to Mary is something that he actually says to every person who comes to faith in him. I think what Jesus is actually saying is, you've got to let go of this moment in history. In order to live in the present reality that I am alive. See, letting go is a hard thing for us to do, isn't it? We, we don't like to let go of things. We're conditioned to hold on to things. And not just good things. We're even conditioned to hold on to bad things. We find a way of finding comfort. And we will hold on to that way of finding comfort. Even if it's something that brings destruction to us. That's how people end up in addictions. They find something that brings them some relief for a moment and they begin to live inside that addiction, holding on to that moment, seeking more and more and more and more and more and they find themselves living. We have a hard time holding on to things. We have a hard time. When Jesus said, do not hold on to me, he was talking to Mary about something more than just his physical presence. He was talking about the pain that she felt as she came into the cemetery to find the grave empty the pain that she had felt when she realized that her lord was being crucified she was also he was also saying mary you got to let go of your agenda you got to let go of what you think you already know we have a hard time letting go don't we i mean we have a hard time letting go and that's what jesus was saying to mary mary don't hold on to me i think the resurrection gives us the power to let go of things I think because Jesus is alive, it means that we can find in him the strength to let go of things. Three things in particular that I think Mary had to let go of are the three things that I think Jesus may be inviting us to let go of today. The first thing is this, that the resurrection means you can let go of the pain. Listen to what she said in verse 13 and 14. She turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. She was clearly distracted by something. I think she was distracted by her grief. She was distracted by her pain. This happened in another passage of scripture to a couple other disciples. Luke tells the story in Luke 24. We don't have time to look at it today, but maybe you could read it later. There were two disciples who were leaving Jerusalem, going back to Emmaus. And they're on this road, and they're kind of talking about all the awful things that have happened. And Jesus shows up and starts walking with them, having a conversation And so they start telling Jesus about what happened to him because they don't know that it's Jesus. You think, how could they not know that it's Jesus? Well, Luke tells us in 
in Luke chapter 24, that their faces were downcast. They never even lifted their eyes. There is something about grief, there's something about pain that blinds us to the present reality. Mary's grief almost kept her from seeing the resurrected Jesus, and grief does that to us. It clouds our eyes with the fog of our own loss, and it obscures our view of any hope, even when it's standing right in front of us. Pain can keep you focused on yourself, and it can create a loop that is hard to escape. Some of you have experienced this. Some of you have found yourself in the loop of pain and grief, and you find yourself just dwelling on the pain more and more and more. And you replay all the scenarios about the marriage that failed, about the spouse that you lost, about the job that didn't come through the way you hoped it would. You find yourself replaying, if my life had been different, and you, you find yourself in a loop of the past. Here's the problem with living in the past like that. Here's the problem with dwelling on the pain, is that it can fog your vision, and it can cloud your view of the God who is standing right in front of you in the present reality. As Jesus is standing right in front of you to heal your pain, you don't see him. Because the fog of the pain is so great that your eyes are clouded. That's what happened to Mary. She couldn't see what was right in front of her. The power of the resurrection can, let you, can allow you to let go of the pain if you will let it. But it does more than that. It does something else. The resurrection also means you can let go of your plans. See, Mary was determined. Mary had an agenda. She had a plan that she was going to carry out. See, here was her plan. She had a three-step plan. Mary's plan was first. Find Jesus' body. Somebody had taken the body, and I'm going to find it. She's asking everybody. She's asking the disciples. She's asking the gardener. She's asking the angel. She's asking everybody. I need to find the body. Step one, find Jesus' body. Step two, put Jesus back in the tomb. Because that's where a dead body belongs. Step one, find Jesus. Step two, put Jesus back in in the tomb. Step three, tend to his dead body. Because that's what I came to do. She was bent on a purpose. She had an agenda in her mind. Many times in our life, we are so bent on our own agenda that we cannot see that God has a different plan for us. We are so determined to accomplish what we've set out to accomplish that we can only see the things that we have in front of us. God said through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9, he said, listen, my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. As high as the heaven is above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. As long as we are convinced that our plans and our thoughts and our ways are the right ways, we will miss God's truth and God's revelation and God's plan every time. If Mary had had her way, she would have found a dead body and put the dead body back in the tomb. And I'm convinced that there are many times in our walk where if we could just control Jesus, we would also put him back in an empty tomb. Because we want a God that we can control. We want a God that we can predict. Like we want to be able to know exactly what God's plan is, exactly God's timing, exactly God's purpose. And we are told in the Bible from beginning to end, you can't know that. You can't know my ways and my thoughts are higher than yours. And so if what I'm doing doesn't make sense to you, it may just be that your perspective is skewed by your own thoughts, by your own ways, by your own plans. But the resurrection means we can let go 
of our plans. We can let go of the agenda for our life. And this is often the very thing that leads us to live a life of regret in the past. Aren't the things in your life that you regret the most the things that didn't go your way? Like if you could have planned it differently, it would have ended up, the story would have changed. Things would have come out different if you could have controlled the circumstances. And so then we find ourselves dwelling on the past. Why do we dwell on the past? Because we had a plan that didn't come to fruition. And so we decide, my ways must have been right. God just wasn't cooperating with me. If only Jesus would cooperate with me. Mary set out on a purpose. And in trying to accomplish her purpose, she nearly missed God's plan. And it was so much bigger and so much better than Mary's plan. What if, what if God's plan for your life is better than your own? I think it is. What if you were willing to let go of your agenda and your plans and truly embrace the fact that because Jesus is alive, you can trust the fact that he is in control. And it may not look good right now. And things may not have gone the way you wanted them to go. The doctor's report may not have been what you wanted. The company may not have done as well as you had hoped it would do. You may not have as much in your retirement account. Your kids may not be cooperating with you the way you hoped they would. There, it could go all any different ways. But if you live with the confidence of knowing because Jesus is alive and God is in control, I can trust his plans are better than my own. I can trust that he loves me. And even though these circumstances are painful... I can see him through the pain because I've set my own agenda aside and I'm willing to embrace his. The resurrection allows us to let go of the pain. It allows us to let go of our plans. And the third thing that it lets us do is it allows us to let go of that place. What do I mean by that place? Well, notice what Mary was doing. She's standing in a garden. Jesus has revealed himself to her and she falls at his feet and she tries to hold on to him. And what does he say to her? He says, Mary, don't hold on to me. I haven't yet gone to my father. I haven't yet gone to do what I've been planning to do all along. Mary, we can't stay in this place. Some of you know the old hymn, um, I Come to the Garden. You know that, you know that old hymn? And it, the, the line, the, 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 the last verse, I'd stay in the garden with him, though the night around me be falling. But he bids me what? Go in a voice of woe. His voice to me is calling. That verse is based on John 20. That, that Mary would have stayed in that garden right there at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus says, Mary, we can't stay in this place. Same thing happened. Uh, if you remember the story of Jesus with some of his disciples, he called three of his disciples and said, come on, fellas, come with me. And they go up on the mountaintop. And they had this incredible experience on the mountain where Jesus sort of just peels the curtain back and God's glory just shines out. It's called the, the Mount of Transfiguration. And, and Jesus is revealed in all his glory and Moses and Elijah show up and they have a, a meeting over there and, and Peter and the guys are just, they're just awestruck. I mean, here Jesus is in all his glory. There's Moses, there's Elijah. I mean, they don't know what to do with this. And so Peter blurts out, hey, Jesus, let me build a temple here. Let, let me build an altar in this place, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And Jesus says, Peter, that's a terrible idea. We're not going to stay here, Pete. I didn't bring you up here so that we could stay on the mountaintop experience. I brought you up here so you could see something, so you could experience something. Because we're going to leave this mountain. And we're going back down into the valley. And Pete, you don't know this now, but they're going to arrest me 
in the valley. And they're going to crucify me in the valley. Pete would have been like, no, 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 Jesus. That's a terrible plan. Let's just stay right here on the mountain. Let's build some tents. Let's, let's pitch a tent and stay here forever. It's exactly what Mary wanted to do. She wanted to stay in the garden. She wanted to stay in that place. See, Jesus was telling her, though, Mary, things aren't going to go back to normal. Things aren't going to go back to the way they were. You know, the way it was before, when it was Jesus and his disciples and his whole posse, and they'd travel around, and Jesus would teach, and Jesus would heal people, and Jesus would argue with the Pharisees. I mean, it was, that was kind of fun. Can we just go back to the way it was when you very first called us? Jesus say, no, we can't go back. That has already happened. We can't stay in the garden. We can't stay on the Mount of Transfiguration. I don't know where you were when you had an experience with God that changed your life. I hope that some of you remember that, that, that there was a place, there was a moment where God changed your life. You know, one of the things that happens in our hearts and in our minds, when we have that moment, that place becomes special. For, for many of you, it's this place. Like, you, you've had special moments, encounters with God right here. I know I have. And the place becomes special. Here's what we tend to want to do. We tend to say, I just want to live there. You know, I mean, students, for those of you who remember going to youth camp, you have this great experience at camp. You're like, man, why can't we live at camp? Because your parents can't afford it. The Christian life was never meant to be lived in the garden. It was never meant to be lived on the Mount of Transfiguration. It was meant to be in motion. Jesus is saying to Mary, Mary, I'm not going to stay here. Mary, I'm only going to be here for 40 days. And then I'm going back to my Father. And it's better for you that I go back so that the Holy Spirit can come. Everything is about to change, Mary. You can't hold on to this place. Listen, here's a truth that if you don't take anything else away from today, I hope you take this away because this is so critical. Especially if you're somebody who's here and you say, you know what, I have a relationship with Jesus, but it just doesn't feel very real to me anymore. This might be the reason why your relationship with Jesus is less vital today than it was when you first met him in the garden. Because you can't stay where you are and follow Jesus. You can't do it. You cannot stay where you are and follow Jesus. When Jesus called his disciples, he did not call his disciples, disciples, come and hold on to me. Come and cling to me. When Jesus called his disciples... He said, come, follow me. But that's not what we want to do. What we want to do is we want to hold on to the comfort of our religious experience rather than following Jesus. Let me tell you, for some of you, Jesus left your religious experience. And all that you have left is religion. And religion is not enough. If you are not walking with Jesus, moving from where you are to where he's calling you, all you have left is something in the past. Something that you are trying to hold on to when Jesus says, do not hold on to this place in the garden. Follow me. That's what I'm calling you to do. Some people come to Jesus and they stay in the place where they met him. And the problem with that is, is that he has left the garden and he has called us to follow him. And we're trying to actually hold Jesus back. That's what Mary was doing. Mary was trying to hold Jesus back from his mission. He had a purpose. 
And it wasn't in the garden. It wasn't in the cemetery. He, he had a plan. It was going to be to bring the Holy Spirit that was going to revolutionize the life of every person who would ever put their faith in God. He was going to launch the movement of the church that was going to change the world. And Mary's just saying, can't we just stay here in the garden? Peter's saying, can't we just build a tent on the mountain? And Jesus said, no, you can't. You can't stay where you are and follow me. Listen, I don't know what you're holding on to. Maybe it's something in your past. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a false idea of who Jesus is. That Jesus came for me. He came to save me. He came to make me happy. He came to make me feel good. No, he didn't. He came to challenge you. To move you out of the grave. To bring you back to life. And it's going to be difficult. And you cannot stay where you are. And follow him to the place where he's calling you. Mary couldn't go and tell the other people that Jesus was alive if she wasn't willing to let go of him and move out of that garden to the disciples. Listen to what she, listen to what she did, what Jesus said to her. He said, go, don't hold on to me. Instead, go to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. He's saying, Mary, we're in this together. You play a vital role in this. We can't stay here. Somebody has to go and tell the disciples that I'm alive. Look what she did in verse 18. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Now think about this with me. This is really radical. This is incredible. Think about this. Mary is the first person to see that the tomb is empty. Mary is the first person to encounter the resurrected Jesus. And Mary is the first person to preach the gospel that Jesus is alive. She saw the empty tomb first, she saw the resurrected Lord first, and she was the first person to tell somebody else about it. But had she not been willing to let go, she would not have done that. If she had been content to stay in that garden, nobody else would have known from her lips the best news that the world has ever heard, that Jesus is alive. She had to be willing to leave that place. She couldn't cling to the moment and, the, and accomplish the mission that Jesus had called her to do, and neither can you. You can't hold on to the past and accomplish what it is that God's calling you to do in the present and into the future. And because we believe that Jesus didn't just come back to life, but that he is alive, we face the same reality that Mary faced. What are you going to do with a living Jesus? A Jesus who is on the move and who has not called you into a relationship with him where you can just be comfortable and hold on to him, but has called you into a vibrant, vital, living relationship where you follow him each and every day of your life, sometimes into places that are not so comfortable. You have to be willing to let go and follow him. But I think if you're having a hard time doing that, I think the two questions that Mary was asked earlier may help you as you determine if you're willing to follow Jesus. The two questions are this. The first one is, why are you crying? Why are you crying? Mary was asked this twice. She was asked once by the angels, and then she was asked once by Jesus. But here's here's maybe what's more relevant for you today. Why are you crying? What's... What's going on in your life? What's that pain? What's that moment? What's that disappointment, that discouragement? What's that tragedy that is holding you back? What is your answer to the question, why are you crying? 
Maybe you would say, they've taken away my home. They've taken away my career. They've taken away my family. They've taken away my children. They've taken away my rights. They've taken away my dignity. They've taken away my dreams. You see, I think if you want to leave the pain in the past and you want to experience the power of the resurrection, the first thing you have to do is you have to name the pain. What is it that is holding you back? Mary, Mary had been a prostitute. She had lived a very difficult, horrible life. She was rejected by everybody until Jesus came into her life. And she had this moment with Jesus where all was forgiven and all was made well. And she was suddenly a part of something. That was a significant moment in her life. And then all her hopes were dashed when Jesus was crucified. And now here he is again standing right in front of her. Wouldn't you have grabbed on to him for dear life too? I know I would have. But what does he say to her? Mary, you can't hold on to this. Even, even though it was good, Mary, we've got to move on to something else. There's something better. There's a better mission. What's your pain? Why are you crying? The second question is, who is it you're looking for? Who is it that you're looking for? The, the, disciple, or the angels in Luke 24, 5 ask the question a different way. I, I like the way Luke, uh, Luke remembers this part of the story. Uh, Luke says that the angels ask this, Why do you look for the living among the dead? Some of you are still looking for the living among the dead. You're looking for the living at the bottom of a bottle, in the arms of a stranger, on the internet, in the accomplishments in your career. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Why is it that you think the thing that you're going to find that's going to bring you back to life is still in the mortuary? Let me tell you something. You will never find Jesus in the morgue because he's alive. And for many of us, we are looking for the solution. We're looking for life in all the wrong places. And we're wondering why we can't find it. And and here's what you need to know. When you will stop trying to execute your own plan, when you will stop trying to solve your own problem, then you will discover that it's Jesus who's already standing there looking for you, calling your name. But until you're willing to set aside the fog of the pain, until you're willing to set aside the plans that you have already predetermined, you will miss him even when he's standing right in front of you. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 3 and 4, that the shepherd calls his sheep by name and they respond to him. What happened when Jesus called Mary's name? She immediately knew that it was Jesus. Sometimes, Maybe we just need to be still long enough to hear Jesus call our name. To stop looking for him according to our own agenda and realize that it is God who is pursuing you. Maybe even the fact that you're here today is evidence that God is pursuing you. I remember when our kids were small um, and uh, there would be those nights where um, we'd hear somebody cry out in the middle of the night and know that they were having a bad dream. And uh, some of you who've had small kids remember what this is like you you know we we go into the room um it would it would usually it'd be either me or sherry depending on who hit who first right so if if she usually whoever heard it first had the advantage because they could hit the other person and say hey go get them but but on those nights where we would hear somebody cry out in their sleep you know we we go in the room and put our hand 
on their little chest and we'd shake and we'd just say, Caleb or Emma or Abby, Macy. And sometimes they would respond and sometimes they wouldn't. We'd have to shake a little harder and say their name a little louder. And then eventually they'd kind of wake up and they'd realize, oh, it was a, it was a dream. What if, what if Jesus is doing that to you? What if Jesus has placed his hand on you and he's just shaking you right now? And he's just calling your name. Bill, Mary, Leanne, Matt. What if, what if God is calling you out of, out of the pain out of the plans that you've constructed, out of that place where you want to stay? And what if he's inviting you into something better? What if he's inviting his church into something better? I believe that he's doing that. I believe the fact that Jesus is alive means that we can let go of the pain of the past. And some of you are here today and you are living in the pain of your own sin. And you don't know what to do with it. And you've developed all your own plans, but nothing you do can resolve the problems in your life. What if today you hear the voice of Jesus call you and invite you? Because he is alive, everything has changed. You can let go of the pain. You can let go of your plans. And you can let go of that place and walk with Jesus. Not just into your future here, but into all eternity. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads and pray with me. We're going to sing a song of commitment of invitation in just a minute. But before we do, I just want to ask a a couple questions and just really to to be able to pray for you. So with everybody's head bowed, let me just do a little survey. If, If you're here today and you would say that you had an experience, an encounter with Jesus, you know he's alive. But if you would say that you want me to pray for you because if you're really honest, you're camped out in the garden. Like, you know he's alive. You you believe. But you are living in the garden of your past. And you need to follow Jesus today and every day. Would you just raise your hand so I can pray for you? Anybody out there, you'd say that's your journey. Yeah, there are a lot of you. Thank you for those hands. Lots of hands. Lots of us believe that about ourselves. Now, if you're here today and you would say, you know what? Really, for the first time today, Maybe, maybe it was last week, maybe it's a few weeks ago, a month ago, but maybe for the first time you've heard Jesus call your voice, call your name. You've heard his voice call on you, and you would say, you know what, I, I don't know what it means, but if it means I can leave my past behind, I'm willing to set my plans aside, I'm willing to go wherever he leads, I'm ready to commit my life to Jesus Christ. If that's you today, would you just raise your hand? Anybody out there? Thank you for that hand. Thank you for that hand. Thank you for that hand. That hand. Father, today we come to you and we hear Jesus call us by name. And Lord, we confess to you that the pain has fogged our vision. It's kept us from seeing you right in the middle of our circumstances. Lord, we have a plan, we have an agenda, and we're seeking to live it out. And we're determined to accomplish it, even though it's 180 degrees from your plan. Father, help us to set those things aside. Help us to set our own plan aside. And Lord, in this moment, right here, right now, help us to meet the resurrected Jesus. But Lord, may we not stay here. 
may we leave from this place and follow him because that's what he called us to do. May we let go of everything that's entangling us, every sin that's, that's, that's seeking to cause us to stumble and holding us back, all of our own efforts to deal with our pain, and let us follow Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, today, for those who are here, who are still in the garden, I pray that they'd have the courage and the faith of Mary to let go of this place and to walk out with bold confidence to proclaim the good news that Jesus is alive from here to the ends of the earth. Lord, for those who are here today and for the first time, maybe they're ready to take a step of faith. I pray, Father, that you who know their hearts would have already, already responded as they've turned their eyes to you. That, Lord, you can change the trajectory and the course, not just of their life, but of all eternity as they place their faith in you. May that be true for all of us. For we pray this in Jesus' name.